Hello, everybody, joining us on Facebook Live for the Deep End Podcast. We're so glad to have you. My name is Tim, and we boys are back in the studio to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and talk about a subject that's too hot to handle. We're talking about sex in the church and the church, not in the church. Don't have sex in the church. Save that for your homes. This is the Deep End. The Deep End Podcast. Welcome to the Deep End Podcast, brought to you by Waters Church in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. The Deep End is where we go deeper in the scriptures to empower our walk with God. If you're watching on Facebook Live, we're glad you joined us, and we encourage you to be a part of the conversation in the comments below. If you're listening in on SoundCloud or your podcast app, be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let's go live to Pastor Tim Hatch as we get started with today's podcast. This is The Deep End. All right. Welcome back in. I am so excited to be back with you on The Deep End Podcast. It feels like forever since we've been together, but I am back. And for the next few weeks, we will be talking again about 1 Corinthians and getting into this study that we have been going through now since September. It's taken a long time, but we've had some breaks. Halloween and the ladies were here was it last week or two weeks ago? Two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving was last week. That's right. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you're still thankful six days later because of all the good things that God has given you. But it is good to be back with you. Welcome into the studio with me, Josh Pereira and Executive Pastor Shane Parsons. Welcome, guys. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. You? I'm, I'm doing good. Good, good. Doing well. We're talking like we haven't seen each other the whole day so far. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good to see all of you. And uh, if you're watching on Facebook, in the comments section, please tell us where you're watching from. Home? Uh, Did you sneak off to the bathroom at work? (laughs) 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 Trying to hide your smartphone from somebody right Uh, now? But anyway, wherever you are, let us know. We'd love to interact with you on Facebook Live. That's why we do it live. And uh, it is very good to be with you. Um, So it is the holiday shopping season. And we have already said this from the pulpit, but I want to say it again. Don't shop too much. Stay thankful. Amen. Be grateful for the good things that God has given you and put into your life and uh, make a list. You've heard of Santa's list. You make a list. You make a list and uh, check it twice <laughs> of all the things and all the ways in which God has blessed your life. Uh, the ladies did a great job last time sure. on the podcast, but yeah. once again, the boys are back in town, baby. Right. Yeah. Never All right. Gets Never gets old. <laughs> I love that song. That's what boys do. We, we like to just, you know, brag about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come standard. So, uh, Shane, let us know what's going on in the church. Let everybody know some announcements going on around here. Well, we have one big announcement. Our Christmas service tickets are going to be available this weekend out in the lobby. Yeah. So we invite you guys to take one ticket per family so we can get an idea uh, who's coming to what service. How They'll, much are the tickets? Uh, they are absolutely free. Free tickets. Free tickets. Uh, they'll be right outside uh, on your way out uh, each service. So our service times for Christmas Eve are uh, December 23rd, which is the Saturday before p.m. as usual. Mm-hmm. Then Sunday, December 24th, we're going to have a service at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Yeah. And I want to say especially this weekend and every weekend till Christmas and up to Christmas Eve, invite a friend. Yeah. This is the time, people. This is the time to say, hey, come come to church with me. So again, we'll put this up on the screen. The service time is December 23rd, uh, Christmas Eve Eve at the 4 p.m. time. That is our regular Saturday night service time. Yep. And then on Sunday, no Sunday morning services. On Sunday, December 24th, no Sunday morning services, but we do have two uh, mid-evening services, 3 and 5 p.m. So the tickets are free. Why do we, why do we ask them to take tickets? Oh, so we can get an idea who's coming to what service? That's like, right. We, yeah. Do we have to take chairs out? Well, yeah. most uh, most towns we have to add chairs at this time of year. Yeah, so. we always add chairs on Christmas Eve and yeah. Easter. Just to make sure we have enough room for everybody who wants to come. Yes. And then uh, actually when Socket and Milford are meeting at the regular time, yes. Christmas Eve, 1030. And when Socket, 1030 in Milford. And Milford is in a special location. The Crystal Room. The Crystal Room Ballroom. Yep. Christmas at the Crystal. Yeah, there we go. Christmas yeah. at the Crystal. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's happening on Christmas Eve. We are so excited every year. Christmas Eve is bigger and bigger and better. And uh, Josh, you're doing some cool planning already yeah. for yeah. Christmas Eve. Yeah, we got some cool uh, Christmas production stuff happening. And I, on the weekend, I am loving the saxophonist. Oh, yeah. He is amazing. Leroy. Leroy is rocking Shout out to Leroy. Yes. Leroy G. He's awesome. Yeah, Leroy G. <laughs> I, think he, I think he puts G to shame. Oh, he puts G to shame. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just a, there's just a, a powerful spirit upon him. The Holy Spirit just touching that 
instrument as he plays and it's just a great environment amen yeah great but, guy too awesome attitude very humble, humble. yeah really yes. awesome to work with yeah and um you're planning like this year christmas eve is going to be a bit more of a concert and i'm really excited about this it's gonna be more of a, like a musical expose there's so much talent at waters church there's so much that i'm excited to see josh Pereira, the genius over here <laughs> the the musical prodigy <laughs> um, he is going to be putting together a spectacular Christmas event for you and your family and your friends. And so again, start now to invite people. Don't wait till you know December twenty second. Start planting the seeds today. Yeah. Uh, my church has a great Christmas program. You want to come? Don't even say service. Say program because they'll be, they'll come for the program. Maybe. Yeah. But if they hear service, they might not come or whatever. But anyway, so excited about that. And uh, we got to get into this talk. We are talking about sex, pride. And the church. So in the spirit of the title, I thought I'd bring out another soundtrack. I love my soundtracks. And <laughs> if you were a child of the 90s like me, this should sound familiar to you. Spinderella cut it up one time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Name of the song? Who knows? Let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, we should have had a contest. Yeah, well, the contest right now is who sang this song? Okay. Who sang this song? Who sang this song in the comments? Let us know. And what apparel did they wear? <laughs> Very famous apparel. All right. Sex, pride, and the church. Okay, we're not actually talking about sex because we are talking about church discipline. First Corinthians chapter 5. But we put sex in there because statistics prove that if you put sex in the title of a podcast, uh, you'll get 50% more listeners. Um, <laughs> bait and switch. <laughs> bait and switch. No, we're actually going to talk about church discipline uh, because there was a problem in First Corinthians with uh, sexual immorality. And, and let me say this, Waters Church regular attendees and people who may go to another church and you're tuning in on the Facebook podcast, Facebook Live or listening to the podcast, this is why you need to have a church family. This is why we have church. And this is why you need to have someone take you through the scriptures. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is not something I think, uh, this is pretty obvious for you guys, not something that we would ever talk about on the Sunday morning or Saturday night experience. Right? No, definitely not. This is... Um, Church policy. This is church procedure, and there are a number. There is a number of New Testament texts that deal with things that are kind of in house. How does the church manage itself in house and uh, and 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 manage its affairs for the people who say, "Look, I'm a Christian. This is my church." Well, this is one of those texts that deals with that, and we don't do this on the weekend. Why? Because every weekend is someone's first weekend. Uh, there's many people who come to our church on the weekend that don't belong to our church and uh, or they're bringing their friends. And so we don't want to talk about in-house stuff yeah. uh, on the weekend. So this is why we call this Wednesday night Bible study on your time. This is why we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians, go right through the passage. And I think this is also a leadership principle here today. So we're talking church leadership, church policy, church procedures about what to do when a church member or members or even in a systemic environment of church, there is there is um, a, an abundance of immorality. Immorality. Uh, today in First Corinthians chapter five, Paul deals with a problem uh, that there was severe sexual immorality in the Corinthian church in the first century. When we read this text, you're going to be shocked at how bad it was. So for the first four chapters of First Corinthians, Paul has been talking about divisions and not having pride over against one another. And now he takes on the second problem in First Corinthians. And the second problem that he's going to deal with is the sexual immorality problem. And he ends chapter four with these words. I just want to remind you of what it said in chapter four. So, so he's kind of like prefacing what he's going to do in chapter five. He says, for the kingdom of God, in verse 20 of chapter four, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? And what Paul is saying there is, I'm, I'm beefing up my talk here because I'm about to lay down the law. I'm coming at you with the rod. I am going to do lay down some principles that are going to challenge you to be the church and he's going to handle this issue that was going on in first Corinth in the time of the first century in Corinth about sexual morality. And basically I want to sum up this talk by, by saying this, the public mantra for generations now, not, not many generations, maybe one generation, two generations, whatever, maybe since the 1990s, the public mantra has been, it doesn't matter what you do in the privacy of your own home. 
so long as you, whatever, do your job, are good at your job. Now, Shane, you and I, I don't know about you, Pereira, but you and I are old enough to remember a guy and, an, and a very large cultural conversation around a guy named President Bill Clinton. Right. And in he, the 40, uh, what is the 42nd? 42nd president of the United States. And um, I'm not disparaging him as a president. Don't take this as a political endorsement or, you know, vilifying him politically. I'm not doing that. But I am going to bring up an issue that really was pertinent when he was in office, especially toward the end of his presidency, where he was, you know, pretty much had to confess that he had done some seriously bad things sexually in the White House with Monica Lewinsky. And there was this big scandal. And then the the cultural conversation was just so loud. I mean, if we think it's loud now, it was loud then. You remember. Yeah, for sure. And people were just, you know, if you were if you if you loved Bill Clinton and you loved the Democratic you know, platform, you were defending him, you hook, line, and sinker. You're like, it doesn't matter what he does in the privacy of his own home. Let him do whatever he wants there. The economy is good. The nation is prosperous. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right? Remember that? No that one was cared. the argument. Yeah. No one Oh, you people, that you side. puritanical, you know, traditionalists. Shame. Yeah. Don't worry about what he does with him, with himself behind clothes. <laughs> and, and now, I just, I just wanted to say it like this, like how... The tables have turned. For sure. Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, and for the podcast listeners, you don't see on the screen, but uh, Facebook Live, you'll see it. All the, all the faces on the screen of all the people. I mean, I, I don't want to laugh about this, but all these guys in Hollywood who have been exposed, um, bad choice of words there, but who have been found out <laughs> to, uh, to have done things behind closed doors that now the public reaction the same public that defended Bill Clinton 20 years ago is now saying these guys need to be held accountable for what they're doing where? Behind closed yeah. doors. And I, again, this is not a public, this is not a, a political endorsement or vilification of any one party. I'm not, there's problems on both sides. But what it is saying, and it's what I am trying to, kind of pastor into you, church, just preliminarily before we get into this talk is, this is why I tell you, don't pay attention to the cultural standards of the day because they're going to change. Right. 20 years ago, no big deal. Oh, he took advantage of an intern in the Oval Office. Who cares? That's his business. Now, 20 years later, the cultural outcry is, we should have actually held him accountable. Yeah. And so what you see here is the culture has changed. It has shifted. It has said, oh, we made a mistake. It has shifted. And the church, if the church just stays true to what has been revealed for 2,000 years as to what is good for public uh, for, for public and private life in the lives of believers, you know, we're going to do well for ourselves. Yep. And I think eventually the culture, as much as it might be hostile to some of our tenets of faith now, give it time. And I say this all the time. Give it time because they will come around. They will see the error of the ways because here's a fundamental principle of the Bible that you find out from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Sin doesn't work. It doesn't work. Amen. It doesn't work. It hurts people. And in this case, it hurt a lot of women and a lot of women who... um, And men. And men who were taken advantage of and were trying to make a living for themselves in an environment that was corrupt, was, was really... Um, poisoned by sexual immorality. So this is why, ladies and gentlemen, we have got to talk about sex and the church. And the title of the talk is Sex, Pride, and the Church, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was sex abundant. There was sexual immorality abundant, and uh, people were really messing around, especially one particular guy he's going to talk about uh, in this chapter. So a couple of things about sexuality, that, that I, a couple of main points I want to say about sexuality and the church. Number one, God cares about your sex life. God cares about your sex life. That sounds strange. It's true. Do you know why? God invented sex. The devil did not invent sex. And the devil has not perfected sex. And I, and I love, I love uh, what Mark Gunger says about how whenever you're watching a movie, they never show married sex. They only show illicit sex. Premarital sex or adultery or some other kind of fornication. And they're always showing that. And they're always making that so beautiful and so wow and so powerful and so well, man, it must be amazing. And, and the reality is it's not amazing. It hurts families. It hurts people. And it's not as great as it looks on a Hollywood film set. They've polished it. They've made it perfect. They've made it glorious. And it's not. And and so you've got to understand that though it looks like in this culture the devil has perfected sex, no, he has corrupted sex. God cares about your sex life. He established it. He created it. And then he established borders around it so that if you follow the principles that God has laid down in his word for your sex life, it will go well with, guess who? You. You. 
Two, number two, uh, God cares about sex, number one. Two, churches must address sexual topics. One, one time I talked about homosexuality from the pulpit, and I think you got an email from somebody, Shane, if you remember this a while back. And he said, why does a pastor have to talk about that? That's a, that's a worldly issue. Yeah. Remember that? Right, I think so, yeah. He's like, don't, don't talk about Let the world be the world and the church be the church. No. Right, right. <laughs> We've got to talk about these things. Do you know why? Because there's too much world in the church. Yeah. And it's the job Amen. of the church to de-world the church. Okay, so we're not here to de-world the world. The world's going to be the world. But we are here to de-world the church. And so we've got to address this stuff. And the other thing is our kids are at stake. Children of, of Christians need to have the tools and the capacity to challenge their children about what they're learning in public school systems, what they're seeing per, pervasively uh, throughout this cultural context. And we need to say, look, I know this is what the world says about sexuality and genders and all that stuff, but we're Christians. We go by a, a higher standard. We go by the standard of God's word. Here's what God's word says. If I don't address this, where are you going to hear it? And, we, and I, say, I say this as calmly as I can because it really fires me up. We have got to stop the one-way conversation about sex that is dominating this culture. And the one-way conversation is the governmental authorities, the Supreme Court, the public education system, and the media are all saying one thing. And there's gonna be someone who stands up and says, no, child of God, this is what God's word says about sexuality and gender and all these things. And it matters that you know it and that you hear it. Right. For yeah. your good. So that brings me to point number three. This is for your good. When we talk about sexual immorality, when we talk about challenging people who are living together outside of marriage and, and you're calling yourselves Christians, when we talk about these things and we challenge you, please understand we are doing so because we love you and we care about you. For sure. And you're going to see in this passage that Paul loves the church in Corinth, cares about them deeply, and wants to challenge them to live up to the standard of Christian belief. Okay, so... Let's get into it, shall we? Let's go. Let's go. All right. Verse 1, chapter 5. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. <laughs> For a man has his father's wife. And we all said, ew. ew. <laughs> that was great. That was perfectly timed. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Stop there. A couple of points about this passage. Just keep it up on the screen there for me, Michael, if you will. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexuality among you. Okay. Word spreads about your church, right? right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many of you have heard something about a church where they allow things that are crazy or kooky? You're like, I'm never going to that church. Yeah. And so Paul says, this is a problem. You know why this is a problem in your church, Corinth? Because people are hearing about what's going on in your church. And I always say this to you guys on the weekend, and it's a real big principle from my life. And Shane and Josh, you guys work so hard. Michael over here, Bria, assistant. Oh, everybody say hello to Bria. Hello, Bria, hey, Bria. assistant producer today. But all of our staff, all of our volunteers, they know this. We want to create a church that has a good reputation in the community. For sure. We want to create a church that even if people don't like what we believe, they will say, we're thankful they're in town right. because they're good people. They're honest, hardworking people, and they're just living they their value faith. to the community. And they yeah. add value to the community. Exactly, Josh. So, you know, I'm saying what, what we allow and what we tolerate as Christians in our church, word spreads. And uh, that's what Paul is saying here. It's reported. I've heard stories. I hear the word on the street about Corinth. And you people are getting a really bad reputation outside of your walls. Yeah. And so he says then this, there is sexual immorality. And the word there in Greek is pornea. This is where we get the word pornography from. There is sexual immorality among you. And then he says, he qualifies it, a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. Right. For a man has his father's wife. You know your church has to be seriously jacked up when the pagans are like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, that's seriously. Wrong. Like, yeah, I wouldn't do that. That yeah. would, That's kind of gross, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so let me just ask this question. Or maybe you're asking this question. Pastor, are you meaning to tell me that there could be people in the church that are worse than pagans? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what is the church? The church is filled with people who are former pagans. And the moment you put your faith in Christ does not mean that all your pagan tree or all your paganism or all your whatever you were before you became a Christian is suddenly wiped out. It takes time. Right. That's called sanctification. Yeah. It's called the process in which we develop into true followers and true disciples of Jesus. 
and I always say this, and I want you to hear me on this podcast, that every church, every church across the world is filled with three kinds of people. Those three people are true believers, number one, who truly put their faith in Christ, false believers, people who are kind of there but not really there, not really converted, and then non-believers. And these are the people who really just go into church because they've been invited or they're just showing up because, hey, I want to go to church or whatever it is. There's only one group of people that we got to watch out for in that list. And that is number two, false believers. We, we got to watch out for false believers. And this is what Paul is going to say. There's a guy in there. He's doing something that even pagans don't do. This is a false believer. He says, not even among the pagans is this tolerated. And so what does it teach us about human nature? It teaches us that we are... Um, we know that there are certain activities we should not be doing because this is what Paul says. Look, even the pagans know this is wrong. Even the pagans know this is wrong. So we know there are certain activities we should not be doing. We got a moral code inside of us for even pagans to say, look, that, that guy's doing that. That's not even right. Like even pagans still today know that incest is wrong yeah. for the most part. There's a couple, there's like five nut jobs out there. Like, yeah, let's, let's make, uh, you know, incest. The deep south. Legal. Yeah, the deep. <laughs> West Virginians. No offense to the deep I don't know. south. I didn't, want, I didn't want to we say We have people from state, West Virginia. Man, I yeah, know, I'm yeah. sorry. No I just, this joke, you know, call us, you know, you know, arrogant Yankees. I don't care, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> so there's this instinctive moral code in us. And my question to you is, where does that come from? That comes from God. God has put this in us. So even for pagans to have, you know, certain limitations to what they do sexually, mm testifies to the reality that there is a God beyond us, that morality comes from beyond us. And um, thirdly, it teaches us that even though there is an instinctive moral code inside of us, that moral code is flawed. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because the pagans were not okay with incest in this case, but they are probably okay with a whole bunch of other sexual perversions in the first, in the first century city of Corinth. Yeah. And Paul is going to say, look, your, your, your uh, standards have got to be higher, way higher than the standards of the world. Why? Because you're children of the Most High God. So anyway, then he says, you are arrogant um, in verse two. He says, you are, <laughs> can you imagine this, that the church has this guy sleeping with his father's wife and it was probably not his biological mother. It was probably his stepmother because of the way that it's worded. But the, the church is like, yeah, this is so cool. Let's like, celebrate it. Proud of, they're proud of it. They're proud of it. Yeah. So I thought. And be ready to be offended, some of you on Facebook. I thought about it. <laughs> Here we go. What, what is a modern day equivalent of where there's sexual immorality in the church and we're proud of it? And it just came to me immediately. Uh, these, these young girls and young boys producing babies out of wedlock. And uh, we get this all the time. At water, not, not, not so much all the time. I, I shouldn't say all the time. We get this very sporadically now. We used to get a lot more. But people who were not married were having babies, and then they'd come to us like, isn't this great? We're having a baby. And you're not married? No, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> it's not great. Don't expect us to celebrate <laughs> fornication. Don't, us to ce don't expect us to celebrate the fact that you are setting that child up for poverty, for imbalance in his household for not knowing if dad's going to be there tomorrow because you may have a fight that's too hard. You just walk out the door. Yeah. Don't expect us to celebrate something that is not right. Will we love the baby? Of course we will. We're not going to sit there and blame the baby for your stupidity. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're going to not sit there and now throw you a baby shower because you've, you've done something like this. And, and, and these people in our church still to this day who are celebrating their, their young daughters having babies out of wedlock, you guys need to repent. You need to repent. and need to get back to what the scriptures teach. And you, you can love your daughter, but you need to love them or your son because it's not just the girls. That's, it's yeah, the boys right. too producing babies. Uh, that really ticks me off. And, you know, this being okay with it, this, this kind of like expecting the church to be, yeah, wow, that's awesome for you. No, it is not. Get married. Do the right thing. I had a guy come up to me a couple of weeks ago. If he's watching, you know who I'm talking about. You know I'm talking about you. But he came up to me a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and he was like, hey, I got a question about uh, vaccines. I don't, I don't believe that you should give your kid vaccines. I don't know what you believe. I said, um, you have a child? He goes, well, my, my, my girlfriend's pregnant. I said, you got a bigger problem than to worry about vaccines, pal. <laughs> yeah. You need to marry that girl. Marry the girl. Don't, don't come to me with vaccines when you're, when you're producing a child that's not going to have a, a stable home. Yeah, vaccines not going to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like, like, like human nature, though. Oh, vaccines. I'm worried about vaccines as I produce babies out of wedlock. I mean, seriously, get a grip. Come back to reality. Sometimes you want to just like, shake people and just... <laughs> Are you awake in there? <laughs> and anyway, I was kind of I was kind of firm with him, and he knows who I who he is if he's listening online or whatever. But 
It just really drives me nuts. We cannot be proud about this stuff. We should, and then what does he say to the Corinthians? Ought you rather to mourn? I love that. He's like, look, church, you should grieve over this. This should not be a sign. Of, this should not be a, a time to boast. You should be like, ah. Oh, it should bother you. It should bother you, yes. And, and this is why sin breaks the heart of God. Do you know why? Because sin breaks us. Yeah. And for anybody who says, oh, your pastor, you're being so firm. Yes, sometimes you need firm love. Firm love that says, I'm, I'm, my, my heart breaks for you because this breaks you. Amen. I'll say my own amen. Amen. Uh, <laughs> then he says, <laughs> too late. Yeah, yeah verse two. Yeah, that'd be too late. <laughs> verse two, he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. Wow. That's a very scary prescription. Sure is. Oh, yeah. Uh, Almost harsh. Very harsh. It seems very harsh. I'm going to unpack this for a moment. But what, what he's saying is there, there does come a time when you should be removing people from fellowship in the church. And uh, Shane and the other elders among us know <laughs> we've done this before. Yep. Uh, more than once. More than once. It's never been pretty. It stinks. It stinks. Yeah. It's terrible. We don't like to do it. We don't want to do it. We have had to do it. And I only share that with you. Again, this is like, you know, this is why we should do Bible studies and talk about these issues. Uh, I share that with you because you need to know that we do that for the protection of our body. We are pastors. That's a, the word is um, the same word for shepherd in the New Testament. We are shepherds. Shepherds have got to care for the sheep. Sometimes caring for the sheep means you, uh, you, you beat up a couple of wolves. You know, you hit them. Kick them out <laughs> Get of the them pen. Out of Kicked him out of the pen. So he says, you know, you got to get this guy out of there. That's, that's basically what it comes down to. Let's go on to verse 3. He says, for though I am absent in body, he's like, I'm not there with you. I'm present, though, in spirit. And as if present, he says, I have already pronounced uh, judgment on the one who did such a thing. Let's stop there. Paul says some scary words, Christians. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did this. Now, I, what I love is that Paul doesn't say, well... We can't judge. <laughs> you know, some Christians echo this "don't judge" mantra louder than the biblical scriptures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some Christians are more adept at repeating the phrases of the world than the phrases that come from the Word of God. Oh, don't judge. We can't judge. We we should never judge. Wait, wait. Okay, stop. Pause. Let's put the brakes on for a second. Let's talk about judgment by condemning people without proof. Should we not do that? Yes. By um, making value judgments on somebody based on something that's not sinful, should we stop doing that? Absolutely. You don't, you don't just judge somebody because of the color of the skin, because of their socioeconomic background, because of their whatever, their religious background, whatever. You don't judge somebody because of that. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to the people who... Anyone who professes to be a believer. Professes to be a believer. Yeah. We absolutely must pronounce judgments. To protect the church. To protect you, yes. In relation to the church. In relation to the church, yes. And we'll get to that a little bit later, too. But, yeah, we don't go around pointing our finger at people and saying, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, there's no hope for you. No, we do, but we make a judgment call on the activities of certain people and say, this is wrong. It is against Scripture. You need to stop this. You need to repent. And so Paul doesn't say, well, we can't really judge. No, we have to judge sinfulness in the lives of people when it's unrepentant and we have to make a stand. Uh, this is one of the best parts about the church that I love. The church self-corrects. This is what I love about the church. Yes, the church will always have problems. Yes, the church will never be perfect. But thank God for the Holy Spirit that puts it in the hearts of people to correct the church, yep, yep. to self-correct the church, to say, look, we understand this stuff is out of sorts in our lives, but we're here to fix it. We're not just going to you know, boast about it. We're not just going to be okay with it. We're not just going to follow the mantra of the world and say, well, to each his own and I have no right to look down on anybody else. No, we're not going to do that because we're the church and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to lead us into all truth, John chapter 14, and to help us make value judgments and moral judgments about the lifestyles of the people who belong to Christ. Amen. So then he says in verse four, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. So this is like this is like bring out the big guns. You're assembled. You've got the power of God there. I'm there in spirit. And when you're there, you are to check it out. Verse five: Deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow. 
Tough words. That's intense, man. Deliver to Satan. Let's, what, are we, what are you talking about there, Pastor? Here's, here's what he's saying. He is already acting like a non-believer. Let him experience the full uh, expression of non-believing lifestyle. He's, all, he, he, he's not willing to repent. He's not willing to set right what is wrong in his life. So if he wants to dabble in the devil's dance, let him go to the prom with the devil. And you'll find, and he will find out that the devil is not all it's cracked up to be, yep. and his flesh will be destroyed. In other words, he's going to bear the consequences of his actions, as sin always does. It always bears consequences in our lives. And then hopefully, when his flesh is destroyed, look what Paul says there, that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, hopefully he'll say, oh man, this was a bad idea. And repent. And repent. Yeah. Let back. me get back to God. Then come back. Come back to Jesus. And, you know, would he have... Born the con- the physical consequences of his actions, yes. Even post Christian conversion, yes, maybe, possibly. But the truth is, what's more important in that case is that ultimately he gets saved and he doesn't suffer eternal condemnation. This is so. Now I hear some of you say, "Look, this seems a bit tough. Like to just hand people off to you know their." Uh, evil devices. That sounds a little bit tough. I don't know if I agree with that. That sounds a little bit wrong of the church. Okay, I want to let you know something. We're only doing what God does. We're only doing what God does. I want to show you this from the passage of Romans chapter 1. Look at what it says here in Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. We talked about this two weeks ago on Thanksgiving. They, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they decided we don't want to worship God. We don't want to serve God. We don't want to believe there is a God. We don't need to honor God. We're going to do our own thing. This is, a, this is, a, this is sin. Yes? Right. What does God do with these sinners? An amazing thing happens in the next verse. Check out what God decides to do. Therefore, God, what? Gave them up in the lusts of their flesh or the hearts to impurity. In other words, what God said is, you want it? Go get it. Yep. There you go. One of the worst judgments of God is actually a passive judgment of God. We talk, Theologians call it the passive wrath of God. The passive wrath of God is when God just lets you do whatever you want and just ha- bear the consequences. Experience it for yourself. You want to walk in disobedience? Okay. And it's just like, why would God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. People run into hell because they're running away from God. Amen. People run into destruction. You, you probably have family members, uh, uh, God forbid, children, brothers, sisters, whatever, friends. They are ru- ruining their life with disobedience to what God's word says. And God, in mercy, lets them have the full expression of their desires. And that is one of the most striking passages in all of the New Testament. God just says, okay, you want to disobey me? You want to walk away from me? You have at it. And then we experience the, the terrible reality of our sin. And this is what the church does. The church says, look, you don't want to walk like a believer. We're going to treat you like an unbeliever. We're going to send you out of the fellowship, and you can experience the full expression of disobedience to God. And it's like, I just want to say, we're not, this is just proof positive. The church is not here to play games. This is not, you know, social club. Being a part of the church is a privilege, right? It's a privilege. You are you are part of the kingdom of the living God and it's beautiful and there's blessing to it and it's wonderful, but it's not something you just play around with because it's the most important organization on the face of the earth. We've got to respect the church. How Jesus, does the um how, how does that correlate with Matthew eighteen? Yeah, I'm getting to it right now. All right. So that. was that on know. the was that on the comments? No. No, okay. So Matthew eighteen it says, Jesus gives us the kind of recipe for how to confront sinners. And what he says is, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault, just you and you and him. So you just one-on-one, look, man, I see this in your life. It's not right. You need to make it right with God. If he listens to you, amen. You've gained your brother. Yep. The next, that's step one, one-on-one. Step two, but if he doesn't listen to you, take one or two others along with you. In other words, two or three witnesses. Uh, that every charge may be established by two or three witnesses. And then he says, look, if he doesn't listen to them, so if he doesn't listen to those two or three people with you, then you got to tell it to the church. That's when you bring it to the elders. That's when you call the office here. That's when you call Shane or somebody other than me. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll get involved. I, I do get involved in these things. Yeah. But, you know, you bring that to the leadership of the church. Look, this person is living in disobedience to God. What do we do? And then that's when we 
you know, take him out of the church. If he doesn't re- repent then, we take him out of the church. Look what Jesus says. He says, let him be as to you a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, treat him like an unbeliever because that's how he's acting anyway. When anybody in the church does not repent, when they've been confronted, it is a sign. Listen to me. It is a sign that the Holy Spirit has not yet taken residence up in that person's body. Yeah. There is no conviction of sin. There is total pride and arrogance. There is a disrespect for authority. There is no surrender or submission to the word of God. And when that is the case, that means, friends, as sad as this is to say, that person is not born again. That person is not converted. So treat them like a non-converted person. And again, you almost treat them like even less than a non-converted person, because at least there's hope for a person who doesn't know Jesus yet. But for this person who claims to know Jesus and walks in disobedience and disrespect for the church, they, they're they in a worse case. And actually, Second Peter says they're worse off right. if they have lived as false believers than yeah. if they never believed at all. Yep. Do you have a question, Josh? Looks like you want to say something. Okay. Back to verse 6 of chapter 5 in First Corinthians. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven... Uh, leaven's the whole lump, and I love what Paul's going to do here. He's going to talk about the Old Testament sacrifice, uh, Old Testament festival of Passover. Little leaven, leaven's the whole lump. Was leaven? Leaven is yeast. So a little yeast leavens the whole lump. And then he says this: Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be new, a new lump, lumpy, lumpy to Christians, <laughs> as you, sorry, squirrel, uh, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And uh, what Paul is doing is helping us interpret the Old Testament because he's bringing up the Passover celebration. Every year to commemorate their coming out of Egypt, the Israelites would gather together in Jerusalem and for one week solid after the Passover lamb was was, uh, slain, one week solid, they would remove every stitch of yeast from their homes. Yeast is what makes bread rise. Now, this was a weird ceremony in the Old Testament pointing to spiritual realities for us in the new testament because leaven is a symbol of sin and what you see here is that god is saying in the church there's going to be this consistent need for the church to de-sin itself to self-correct to take care of the things that are inside it that need to be outside of it and so he says look and what he says uh, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. In other words, you've been made holy, now you need to pursue holiness. You've been made right with God, now you need to uh, get the things out of your life that are not right with God. This is why we have to confront sin. This is why we have to eliminate those who don't repent of sin. This is why we have to let leaders be leaders in the church and trust them. The spiritual health of the body is at stake. Shane. Got a question? Yeah. What if someone repents but falls back into sinful acts that they are doing? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, uh, and feel free to uh, comment back when I answer this. How often has this happened? I mean, is this person struggling with something that they need to confess and have prayer and, uh, you know, real healing over? Uh, maybe they have just gone through the motions of just saying it a couple of times so that they just can get back in and, and then they're going to go back. And really, really, their heart's not changed. That might be the reality there. Uh, but, you know, again, these are difficult issues. So my first question is, how often has this happened? Is it once? Is it twice? Is it three times? Is it seven times? What is going on there uh, if there's repeated habitual sin that is not repented of? And again, you know, some people are going to struggle with things until the day they die. Right. I think yeah. actually every Christian struggles with something until the day they die. Yep. So my, my point being there is, is the spirit right? Like, do they hate it? Do they hate the fact that they keep falling back into the sin? Uh, like an alcoholic, you know, he, he hates it. That's why he goes to AA. That's why he comes to church. That's why he tries hard to walk, but he's going to fall here and there. I mean, we still have these people. Yeah. But if he's, if he's confronted, or she, I always say he, but sometimes it's the girl. <laughs> if they are confronted and the spirit is, no, I'm not listening, you have a serious problem. That's when you bring it to the church. That's when you come to Shane, myself, one of the elders, and you say, look, I confronted them. They're just, they're arrogant. Their attitude is terrible. Okay, that's a serious problem. Yeah, that's different. But if they're like humble, contrite, they're just, oh man, I just I hate this. I want this out of my life. And they fall back into a couple times here and there. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Some people are going to struggle. Now, I believe that God can deliver you. Yeah. And maybe the problem there is the guy or the person who you're talking about doesn't believe in the deliverance power of the Holy Spirit. The delivering power of the Holy Spirit is stronger than sin. It is always stronger than sin. 
You do not have to be the result of your struggles. You can be the result of God's victory for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's my answer there. All right. Uh, Then Paul says in verse verse 8, let us therefore celebrate. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, but the uh, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity. Okay, big point here that he's making. He says, "Look, de sin the church. D, you know, get this stuff out because you are you are part of a perpetual festival of God and man dwelling together in harmony." That's what the church is. The church is, every time we gather as a church, we sing loud songs, we have wonderful loud music, we celebrate. Our church likes to clap a lot. Have fun. Have fun, raise our hands. We should be celebrating. Why? Because we have something to celebrate. And so we should be doing this every week, and we have to do this. And then then he says this, and this is why you de-sin, this is why you de-leaven or de-yeast the church, sin the church, because if you don't, you will deal with that old leaven. And what does he call it? He calls it the leaven of malice and the leaven of evil. The leaven of malice and the leaven of evil. And those two words are the results of sin. Trouble, malice, and evil. Defectiveness uh, in the Greek, it means defectiveness. And he's saying, look, if you don't do that, if you don't deal with this, you don't get this out, you're the ones that are going to struggle with this. And this is why some churches are dead and lifeless because they never deal with this stuff and they never pursue holiness. Question. Now the question, uh, can a person be living with someone and still be saved? How long have they been saved? <laughs> do they um, see the fact, do they feel the guilt and the weight of that sin upon them? And if so, are they then therefore now making attempts to correct the behavior? And if they are not, and none of that is a reality in their lives, I would question whether they're converted. I really would. Like, if you don't have a problem with it, you're like, oh, I'm going to live with my girlfriend. I don't care what anybody says. You might not be a Christian, you know, yes, different thing. Yeah. But if they're saying, man, this is, I know this is wrong and I know I got to get this right. And right now I'm just working out the details. I don't want to, you know, put her on the street, put myself on the street. We got to, all right. Yeah. That happens a lot. That happens. Yeah. We're not going to sit there and say, you know, you're not saved until you get that right. (laughs) Right, right. That would be works righteousness. And we're not about works righteousness. We're about grace. So again, this is why we have these conversations on the podcast. This is what the deep end is for, because these are good questions. And I appreciate the questions because I do want to answer these questions from a biblical mindset. But again, it's about the perceptions, about the reality of how do we approach the issue? The approach has to be what's the response? What's the heart of the person being approached? Is there pride and arrogance or is there contrite hearts and humility to say, I do need to make this yeah, right. And I know it's wrong. I want, I want to yeah. work, walk in righteousness. How do I fix it? Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Amen. Oh, good call there. Good, good verse right there, Josh Pereira. I knew there was a reason why you had you were on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope that answers the question. But Paul's saying again, celebrate the festival. Don't let that malice in. Don't let that evil in. Where does that come from? It comes from sin. Malice, the Greek word translated means trouble or hostility. Trouble in the church comes from sin in the church. Defectiveness, the word for evil here. Another word, another translation, defectiveness. Defectiveness in the church comes from sin that allows to un- that is allowed unchecked in the church. Allows sin unchecked in the church. I hope I said that right. Verse 9. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter. So Paul had written a letter previously to the uh, Corinthians. He says, now I wrote to you not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all. I love this. Verse 10. <laughs> Please, oh, oh, water church people, please go to your Bibles and underline 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. I beg you to do this so that you get your, your relationships right. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Come you, on. you can't be a Christian uh, who has no Christ, non-Christian friends. Right. That's what he's saying. Yeah, and you're a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, he says, but, now, <laughs> but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed or an adulterer or a viler or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with them. How often, and I asked you guys this in the production meeting, but I ask you again, how often, Christians, do we do the exact opposite? of what Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. We befriend the unrepentant Christian yeah. oh, because yeah. at least they're Christians yeah. and we avoid the world like they're the plague. <laughs> yeah. 
wrong. Jesus, your Savior, hung out with tax collectors and sinners. An immoral woman broke into the house where he was eating one day and washed his feet with her hair. An immoral woman, woman did that. And the religious people were mortified and shocked because they couldn't understand that Jesus wanted to be around people who needed salvation. Who needs salvation? Non-Christians. This is why our church's mantra is, we are here for those who are not yet here. This is why we do everything short of sin to reach people far from God with the gospel of Jesus. This is why we ask you to invite people to Christmas services, even this weekend service. Let me say something about this weekend service. Bring your friend who might have just had a death in the family or a loss of job or something, and this is the first Christmas that they're having without something special in their lives, and this is really a hard Christmas. This weekend is for them. Please invite someone like that. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, look, you can associate with non-Christians who are immoral. Of course you can. It's the Christians who are immoral you got to stay away from. (laughs) (laughs) All right, question. Yeah, a couple. Uh, Is it biblical that you're not supposed to live with your partner even though you're not being sexually immoral? Uh, Yeah, you know, I say this in jest, too. I I don't believe that you're not being sexually immoral. (laughs) 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 Come on. You're under the same roof. It's at night. It's like three's company or something. <laughs> Give me a break. Like, I, I don't think it's right. I just think. Uh, Why put yourself in that position? That. that Because it looks like you are. To the, yes. It looks like you are in, in the temptation. Who's going to take fire and not get burned? Like, you know. Beautiful scripture. That's from Proverbs chapter six. Right. Who's going to ca- Who's going to take hot coals into his lap and not be burned? And he also says in another passage in Ephesians, avoid even the appearance of evil. So Christian, you have non-Christian friends watching you shack up as a Christian. They're looking at you saying, you're no different than us. Right. Yep. Hypocrite. What's the big deal about Christianity? Christianity then is just this watered down version of being an American. That's all that that is. And so that, no, that's not right. Move out. Go back home with mom and dad. Do something. Get it right. Want another one? Yeah, sure. What's the proper way to start a conversation about sin, like racism in a church? Okay, well... Racism is that implied? Is that is that is that uh, you know? Are you are you thinking it's there or are you seeing it there? Yeah. Again, like, like don't make accusation about what you think people think. Show me the racism in activity. Yeah. Is somebody calling people names? That's disgusting. Yeah. Is somebody not you know I don't know treating somebody equally? And you have tangible evidence that that is actually happening. Uh, we have to absolutely confront that. You know, hundred and ten percent. So. Again, though, and this sounds like a mantra of the world, like, and I, I really can't stand this. Like, if everybody's racist, then racism is nothing. Mm. It becomes nothing. Not everybody can be racist. Not everybody can be feeling a certain thing. You can't put that on everybody. You've got to have tangible evidence where that does exist. And so then how do you start the conversation? You say, hey, listen, man, I saw you tr- treated that person differently than that person. Is it because of their race? Sure. And if it's because of their race, shame on you. Absolute shame on you. You were saved by a Jew. <laughs> you have no right to be racist, you know, as a Christian. So I hope that answers that question. But, you know, just ask them if you want to start the conversation. But again, don't, don't assume. We make so many assumptions about people. We've got to see that there's activity behind the, what we think is the reality. Okay, another question? Uh, no, just some comments, but... All right. Um, so then he says, what does he say? I wrote to you not to. Okay. So then back to this, he says, look, you just don't hang out with people who profess to be Christian and then don't act like Christians. It's just, you can't do it. You just can't do it. You must hang out with people who are not Christians, no matter their immorality. And then what does he say? What does he say? Like wrapping this up, verse 12. It isn't my responsibility, Paul says, to judge outsiders. And I wish every Christian hearing this right now would go to their Bibles again and underline these passages. It isn't our responsibility as Christians to judge people who aren't Christians. Amen. Let yep. the civil courts do that. <laughs> let the court of civil let the let the court of public opinion do that. Mm. You don't have to do that, Christian. You do not have to go to your non-believing brother and tell him you need to repent of lying and swearing and th- he's not a Christian. You can't hold him to that you can't hold him to that standard. Let right. the civil courts deal with those people. That's what civil government is for. You don't judge outsiders, but here's what he says, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. And we don't want to do that because we want to be friends with everybody. We want everybody to like us in the church. Oh, I'm afraid of confronting them because they might not like me. So what? 
Sin is a serious problem. It will destroy people's lives. Take it seriously in your life, in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ, because you care about them. And then finally, he says in verse 13, God will judge those outside. So, you know, for all the outsiders listening, I got bad news for you. Us not judging you is not better. <laughs> like, like, I just hear Chris non-Christians be like, yeah, that's right. Lay off me. All right, I'll lay God off you. But God's me. got you, man. I mean, that's, that's not a better option. Let me tell you. I, what can we do? We can call you names and make you feel bad about yourself. God has the right and the power to cast you into eternal hell. That is not a better option. If I was a non-Christian listening to this right now, I would check myself against God's word and, you know, look into the claims of Jesus because, you know, being judged by God is not ever going to be a pleasant experience for anyone. But Christians, you need to know, you don't have to worry about them. Let the church, I mean, let the world worry about them. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So I got four points. Do you have any more questions? No. No? (laughs) All right. Four points and then we're done. Why church discipline? So I opened this by saying it was a uh, sex talk, you know. Let's talk about sex. No, it's actually, let's talk about (laughs) church discipline. (laughs) Let's talk about church discipline. And church discipline is important because, number one, the name of Christ is at stake. We have a reputation to uphold in the community. We've got to root out the things in in our church that kind of defame uh, deface, I'm sorry, the name of Christ. Number two, the impact of the gospel is at stake. And I want to say this. If the church looks no different than the world, then the church cannot change the world. Amen. So we've got to uh, care for the impact of the gospel through the reputation of our church. Number three, the health of people that God loves is at stake. Sin hurts. Sin hurts you. Sin hurts people. We care about you. Your health your spiritual life, your mental life, your social life. It all matters to God. Yeah. And sin will kill those things. Sin will deteriorate those realities in your life. Uh, so your health is at stake. And number four, the next generation is at stake. We have got to, as a responsibility to this generation, you know, the psalmist says, one generation shall proclaim your deeds to the next. And so this generation of leadership has to raise up new leaders who will say, yes, we will stick to the word of God. We will stick to these convictions. We will not water it down and we will not look like the world uh, in, in morality because we are the chosen people of God and we are here to show the world that God is good. Amen. No more questions. I think we're good. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us this week. I am so glad that you were here. Uh, I would challenge you, if you know anybody in your small group, leaders uh, or, so, or, or assistant leaders or whatever, or anybody that needs to hear this talk, I think every person who calls Waters Church, their church, needs to hear this talk and listen to it. Get somebody to come and listen to it. Glad you were here. This was The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We're located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.